Morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Heath. I'm the lead pastor here at Reach Community Church, and we're grateful that you're here this morning. Um, I'm going to jump pretty much right into the Word. If you've been reading along with us in the One Year Bible, we're going to be um, landing in several places, mostly in First Thessalonians 4, um, but we're going to kind of do an overview of it. And here's what I want you to walk away with today. Followers of Jesus, watch this, I'm getting ready to get real deep on you, follow Jesus. Whoa, come on now. Uh, But the serious part of that is, is for the most part here, sometimes in our culture, um, those that claim Christ and claim to have been changed by Jesus and have had an experience with the Holy Spirit and are living for this new king and a new kingdom don't really look like that because they don't typically follow Jesus. And we, in our American culture, there's, there's kind of this known thing. There's a lot of kind of look around and go look at these hypocrites that, you know, complain about this or hate that, but they're not very nice people. They're not really um, doing the things that Jesus did. And, and today we're going to look at a church um, that got started in the middle of Greece. This is where Thessalonica is. It's this church that got started in Greece. And it got started through Paul and Silas in their missionary journey. And almost every place that they went to, they started proclaiming the name of Jesus. People were entering into relationship with Jesus. The the cities were changing. There was this uproar, uproar. And then typically what happened is the Jews of the day decided they didn't like this. They didn't like the challenge. And they wanted to escort them out of town sometimes violently and that's what happened um in thessalonica in Acts 17 that's where the birth of this church came they were literally there for they think two to three weeks preaching the word of god uh he started in the synagogue and uh jews said yes to team jesus they're like he is the messiah i love jesus and and also greeks were getting um non-jews were getting saved they were giving their life to jesus and paul and silas were ran out of town done so they can you imagine like if we planted this church seven years ago we came into leland can you imagine coming into leland preaching for about two or three weeks having some people being converted to christianity and it wasn't christianity was new it's not like there's churches on every corner and then within three weeks they're escorted out of town they're run out of town and and the church was going there was a band of believers that were following Jesus with three weeks of training. <laughs> so more than we have. I mean, less than what we have today. I mean, we've been, you know, happily, we, we get the word of God, we, we get to fellowship together, and some of you guys have been meet with us for years. I myself said yes to Jesus almost 25 years ago. Um, and I you know, complain about some of the things that I'm faced with today. And here's a church that began with three weeks of training. And they dedicated themselves to the Lord so much so that they were being persecuted, beaten, tortured, you know, not nice environment. I mean, it it wasn't a fun place. So um, they started, and let me just give you a little background. Thessalonica was a major port city uh, in 
Greece, uh, modern day Greece, there was about 200,000 people in the city. I mean, so this is a big city. This is as big as Wilmington, except this is, you know, not in the culture that we live in today. It was a big city. And this city um, had a very strong pagan culture. And I know we hear the word pagan. Oh, you're a pagan. We don't really understand what that means um, typically. But the greater body of converts to Christ were um, right out of paganism. Right out of this worshiping other gods um, and a, a very loose morality, so much so that a lot of their worship included going to shrine prostitutes um, to where that was their worship. And they were surrounded by a culture um, that were heathens and were completely immoral. This was the culture that they're in. This led to enormous temptations to return to their old ways and significant persecution if they refuse to recant their faith in Christ. This is the culture that they're in. Their world literally was against them. Three weeks of training. Three weeks. There was, there was an encounter, which we're going to see in 1 Thessalonians. We're going to see when it started, God did something, and then it started something that allowed them with three weeks of Paul to maintain their faith in Jesus in a culture that was against what they believed completely. Can we resonate with that? I mean, I know we're in the Bible belt, but uh, more and more and more, our culture is not pro-Jesus. It, our culture is pro-Jesus as long as Jesus is just love. It's pro-Jesus as long as Jesus is just, we love everyone. It's not pro-Jesus for others to actually follow what he says, because if they follow what they said, they have to do things that are contrary to the culture. So listen to this. So the church was began, and this was a letter. Um, Paul leaves, and he has such a warm affection for these people, which we're going to hear. He loves this group, and like most of the other letters that we read, they're literally a letter that Paul is writing to the church, because he is concern for their well-being he's 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 he loves them i mean he wants to see them succeed um and this is the letter that he's sending to them after he sent timothy because he's not been able to make it back to the city he sent timothy one of his disciples there to check on them he has gotten a great report so this is not a church that is failing now Meaning this isn't a people, they're succeeding, which we're going to see. They're, they're doing the right things, they're choosing the right things. Timothy comes back with a great report, but still Paul speaks to his church that he helped start this encouragement to keep walking out your faith in spite of suffering, in spite of what's going on. So let's, let's see their beginning. So this is Paul after he says, we, we pray for you all the time. We, we love you. Our heart is for you. So in verse 4, chapter 1, it says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word with much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. 
For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from Macedonia and Acha, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. Can you imagine? I mean, like, this is a church that literally just began, that Paul came in and preached Jesus. I don't know what their understanding about Jesus and his death and resurrection is at this point. I don't know if they just heard about it, but their faith is literally being communicated across their world. Your faith has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turn from God's, sorry, you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They literally were living in a way, worshiping foreign gods. And when the gospel came to them, they turned from old idol worship, which is this is their culture. This is who they are. I'm sure for the most part, those that were non-Jews, this was their life. They probably, and I'm joking here, but they, sat on, they probably sat on the same pew with their grandma for years in the pagan temple. I mean, that's more our culture. But this is what they did. This is who they were. And Jesus comes in with power and authority in the Holy Spirit and with much affliction. They turn to now worship God from idols to serve him. In verse 10, it says, and to wait for his son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. He, he literally like he's like, you guys are awesome. You guys are doing good there. There isn't like one of those churches where I mean, and there was lots of church letters that were sent out that were like, you know, there's there's things going on that we don't even want to talk about in this letter. There are things that need to be taken care of. There are things that we need to eradicate from the church because it's killing the church. This isn't that church. This church is doing great. Listen how Paul talks about his love for this group in Thessalonians. First um, Thessalonians two eight. It says so. Being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. We talk about this. Like, this is one thing I would love for our church to be. It's like we don't want to just preach the word. We want to share lives. The reason why our name is Reach Community Church, because I believe that we need community. We need each other. We cannot do this alone. And Paul's saying we not only just wanted to preach to you. But we wanted to share our lives for you. He actually refers to them as his little children, being mother and father to them. He, he's talking about like we love these people. He loves these people because you have become very dear to us. And then First Thessalonians two eleven through 12. And this is where he says, he says, for, you know, like a father with his children, we exhort you each one of you and encourage you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Walk in a manner that is worthy of God. That walk doesn't happen on our own. I don't know if you guys have tried unsuccessfully to just eradicate some sin or eradicate some part of your life that you know is destructive on your own, it usually doesn't work out very well. 
We usually come back to the same cycle. But what he's saying here is walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. He's saying God has empowered us through him, which we're going to get into in just a second. And then he was talking about their effect to the word. So God, Paul came in and preached the word of God, told about who Jesus was. And this is what he says about them with the word. First Thessalonians 2 verse 13, it says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. See, here, here's the key. Like we're, I, I'm a little nervous about the next section that we're getting into, just to be completely honest. We're going to talk about sexual immorality. Yay. Yeah, okay. But I, let me just tell you that it's not me saying, hey, we should be good people that do right things, that don't live immoral lives. This is not Heath. This is not Reach. This is... God through Paul. Well, God said it himself in uh, the Gospels, which we've seen. But he is saying it through Paul right now. That this is his word. So when Paul's telling them the truths of the gospel, they're believing it not as Paul's word, but as God's word. And then there's a point and purpose for us to follow it. Because if you go out there and be like, I'm going to live his word. Not all my words are really good, to be completely honest. Not all of my words are ripe with the gospel. Not all of my words are, are straight from the Holy Spirit. Even once I say up here, like if you're here a couple of weeks ago, awkward moment of me just going into some, you know, not going to go there. Le- Leslie thinks, thankfully, like, I mean, you, you just don't know. But when, when the word of God, when we see it, it's what motivates us because. And let me, let me just t- side tangent here. The word of God moves us because it's what communicates who God is to us, what he has done for us and what he wants to do through us. Like he has set me right. Like I am righteous right now, not because I'm better than you, because I'm not. I'm righteous right now because of the sacrifice that I'm trusting in that Jesus made for me. And he didn't do that just so I could not go to hell so that I can go to heaven. He did that so that I could have life right now. And all the commandments and and what we're getting ready to talk right now is not to limit you from something. It's to save you from heartache, from pain, and, and the death that it brings. Not only in you, but in those that affects. So here, here's, here's the, the thing that Paul's concerned about. Is will culture, and I think this is my concern, the world's concern, not the world's concern, the church's concern, will culture turn the church? And we, we live in a culture, I mean, you're bombarded more than anyone, I think, than any generation. We are right now with access right here. I can, <laughs> picture of my wife with some notifications, uh, I can, through this little device that we carry in our pocket, can have access to good 
things and I can have access to horrible things right here in my pocket. We are right now in a culture, even more so, when they walk around, they saw it. This was a pagan culture that had pagan temples that shrine prostitutes would literally sit there going, hey, come and worship the God that we honor through this immoral act. It was in their face. And I believe, like them, it's in our face. And I believe this morning that God's asking us, are it, to you, is he worthy For you to live your life in a manner that fits the calling that he's placed on us. And so here we are in verse 1 of chapter 4. And I'm going to go through 8 and then we're going to skip down to um, the close uh, in chapter 5. Verse 1, chapter 4, it says, Finally then, brothers... We ask and urge you in the Lord, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Just as you're doing. This is the key. Like, this isn't something he's writing to a church that is failing. This is something he's writing to a church that is succeeding. And he's still writing it because it is still important. Because we're still alive. And there's still a tomorrow. There's still a choice that we're going to face every day. That you do so more and more. So you're walking and you're pleasing God as you're already doing. And you're going to continue to do that more and more. In verse 2, it says, For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is his will. Sorry. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. I'm not going to get you to raise your hand, but... Like, here's a word that we talk about, hey, Declan, um, that we talk about, but it's a word we may not understand. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time before we get into the, the latter part of this verse to look at what it actually means. Sanctification, being set apart for the work of God. To sanctify something is to set it apart for special use. To sanctify a person is to make him holy. How many of you guys feel, don't raise your hand, don't raise your hand. How many of you guys right now, and I'm not talking about like because of what God's done for you. How many of you right now just feel like I am holy, like uh, don't raise your hand. Don't even like look down to just keep normal, act normal. The, the truth is that that's not us. I almost without a doubt Know that every single person this to some extent, maybe not what we're getting ready to get into this next verse, to some extent, you feel unholy. Holy is literally being washed clean. Like we are this dirty vessel and what he does in us is us becoming clean. And, and the, the majority of us probably feel more like the dirty vessel than this holy, pure sanctified person. So there's three, and I'm not going to get into them, but there's, there's, I found this great little video. There's three different types of sanctification. I'm going to talk about the one that's progressive or uh, experiential sanctification. Uh, is the effect of obedience to the word of God in one's life. It is this 
ongoing thing, that we are being conformed for us who follow Jesus, our goal in life. We have been justified the day we say yes to Jesus, the day we say I cannot, but he did through the cross. You've been justified, which means made right before God. Sanctification is the process of you becoming holy, which you will be working on your entire life. There's no finish to this until we draw our last breath and we enter into the grace and glory of our new and future life with Jesus in his presence. But right now, we are fighting for our holiness. But this is... This is the will of God. If you hear nothing else, the will of God for you is sanctification, is holiness. And he does not withdraw himself from this process. Matter of fact, if he's not part of this process, it won't happen. And so let me read the three again and and finish it out. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. This was to a church that was doing it right. But he's saying, hey, I need you to know. I need you to understand that this is something that is coming for you. Like sexuality is everywhere. It is in your face all the time. Even PG-13, even TV-14 has some little underclimate of what sex should be. And I'm just, I mean, like, I, I don't, I'm like, this is where it gets a little awkward for me. It's here. Like, pornography is a issue inside the church. And I'm not just talking about, like, ladies, I don't want to exclude you. Actually, statistics say that, that women's numbers are increasing in their viewing of pornography. But, I mean, there's great little romance books that you could read that are just as to the heart an issue of this. But he's talking about, hey, if we're going to keep the church healthy, we have to make sure that we're walking out it in our life, that we learn how to control our own bodies. It is in our power through the Holy Spirit to walk out this life in Christ. But we have to keep our focus Paul in 1 Corinthians talks about this a little bit in chapter 9, verse 24. And he's talking about preparing for a race. He says, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. (laughs) Run in an effort to obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, a wreath that will go away, a wreath. I just, uh, I just, I just literally threw away like seven Spartan shirts the other day because I don't wear them anymore. I know, I know. I just, I gotta, I gotta let it go. 2015, 2016, I did all these races, and it was like, look at me, I've got a T-shirt. I'm awesome, and I. I don't know. I just cleaned out my closet and had all these extra shirts and I I threw them away because it's a perishable thing. No one's going, hey, how were those races in 2015 and 16, Eve? (laughs) No one. If I wore the shirt, they're not going to be like, they're going to look at the year and be like, I see you haven't done them in a while. (laughs) 
But he's saying, hey, these athletes, I mean, if you begin to train and do something and you set yourself apart, which is what an athlete does to compete competitively, they're going to change everything. They're going to get up early. They're going to train hard. They're going to control what goes into their mouth, what they eat, what they drink. They're going to control everything all to win this prize that will go away. You know, even gold medal winners, when they die, there's not like, hey, you know, special bonus, you know, get into heaven with your gold medal. There's none of that. And when you die, that medal gets transferred to somebody else and maybe they sell it on eBay, but there's no eternal value to it. And he's saying they all run for something that's perishable. We run For what's imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. This is what Paul's saying. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Least after preaching to all. After preaching to others. I myself may be disqualified. Anybody read the newspaper? Like in the last three years. Pastor after pastor. Failure. I mean, it's not across the board. There's lots of God-fearing, God-loving pastors, but we are not exempt in this area. I mean, we see it. Big, well-known people have fallen for this. And I, I don't, I'm not here to answer why that happened to them, but what I am saying is that we are all susceptible to a loss in our holiness through our pursuit of following something else. And he, he spins this. So he tells them, hey, to abstain from sexual immorality, that each of one knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Verse 5, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So he's saying, hey, don't be like these people that they cannot control their bodies because they don't even know God. You know, God, the power of the resurrection is living in you. But Romans 8 says that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us, raising our mortal bodies to life. Knowing God is the key. If you don't know God, you cannot be sanctified you cannot become holy the beginning of our holiness is what jesus did for us on the cross and it's after that us walking out our faith in him trusting him that changes us and he goes on that that this sin isn't only affecting you in verse six it says that no one transgress or wrong his brother in this matter It doesn't, our sexual sin typically doesn't just affect us. It affects other people because the Lord is the avenger in all, and I don't mean like avengers, I meant like he is the avenger in all things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God is not called us to impurity, but to holiness. That's what he's called us to, because in our holiness is going to be our greatest life. Like how many, and don't raise your hand again, please, please, how many in here after falling into any sin, and I don't mean just sexual sin, I mean like you just had an outburst of anger to your spouse or, you know, you, you, you waved at somebody with just one finger in a car, <laughs> you know, or, you know, whatever. I don't want to just like, hey, you know, like I'm doing really good in the sexual sin area. Well, so is the church. 
But there's all these other things. How how many of you right now at the end of that failure feel like, man, I feel good. <laughs> like there was a uh, I forget there was an interview with one actor and uh, there there's. Uh, he was talking about his addiction to pornography, and he was like, you know, he's, he's never, he's like, I've never ended one of those sessions of like looking at something and going, I just feel better. We don't. We don't feel better at the end of our sin because we understand what that sin is doing for us, it doing to us, it is destroying us. It's ruining relationships because he's called us not to impurity but to holiness. Verse 8, therefore, whoever, and this is, this is not my words, therefore, whoever disregards this, the words just spoken, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So he's saying, hey, if you're failing in this area, you're not failing to keep Paul's word, you're failing to keep God's. Knowing and loving God is the motivation in walking with God, period. If we are not interested in walking with God, we, and this is harsh, if we're not interested in walking with God, we do not know or love God. Our affection moves us to action. I do not love my wife by telling her I love her. I love my wife by acting out my love to her, protecting her, honoring her, cherishing her, building her up. That is the effort. So for us to say, I love God, but don't follow God, then you don't love nor know God, period. And I'm not talking about, and let me just take, take a deep breath, because some of you are like, ah. Take a deep breath for a second. Let me look. We all have moments of stagnation. Every one of us. There, there's not a, there's not a pro, there's not a great Bible teacher that you don't read of this dark days of the soul that are struck. You don't read people. There's not this kind of like oh steady. So if you're if you're in one of those moments where you feel like, oh, man, I, I don't know or love God because I'm not walking towards him. But you over your life, you see that I am progressing this way, even if right now you're in a down, the grace and mercy of Jesus is for you. Like, I, I'm not talking about these things to batter and abuse you. I'm trying to convince you that there is a better way, that our better way is always going to be trusting and following Jesus. And we can't do this alone. Let me just tell you, like if you're struggling in this room with something that you have been unable to fix yourself, you need help from someone outside of yourself. You need someone else. Look at this in um, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14 through 18. And he's just kind of dealt with this like, hey, look, Jesus is returning. Because they're concerned, like, what about the brothers who have died? And he was like, look, when Jesus comes, they'll meet him in the sky before we get. He's like, don't, they have not, they're not going to miss out on anything. And look what he says in verse 14, chapter 5. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol. If you're sitting around doing anything, admonish them 
to not be idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient for them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to one another and to everyone. Everyone. Look at this. And here, here's, here's this verse that we, we love, we talk about. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Giving, give thanks in all circumstances. This is to a church that is literally being battered and abused by For what they believe. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will. Sorry. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. (laughs) That's a deep well that I'm not getting into right now. But God put them in that city. Their testimony is encouraging saints in the outer region for what they're doing. And he's saying, hey, look. Encourage them. So if we're seeing people in our lives, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. We need each other. We need people in our moments to look us in the eye and say, look, how are you doing? And can you imagine if we honestly started getting honest with that and saying, instead of going, good. And now it's Sunday morning and... (laughs) And if you like spilled your guts and it's like, how are you doing today? We're like, well, you know, let's just have a seat here. And an hour later, you finish the conversation. But like at some point, we have to be transparent and honest with people saying, I need. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Because every single one of us are going to at some point need another to encourage us. Not beat them up. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. My hope this morning isn't that I beat you up, that you feel worse and you're like, you're leaving here going, yes, I'm a wicked, evil person. My hope this morning, because I think the world is doing that to us all the time, Jesus came to give you life and life abundantly, John 10, 10. That abundant life comes through us trusting and following Jesus. You are not strong enough nor wise enough to lead yourself to life. But Jesus is. There's a point where we say we need help. Look, I want us to be a strong church, but we cannot be a strong church that allows sin to just take up residence in our life. We cannot. It, because it's it's destroying us personally. And if you're married and have kids, it will destroy others. It will affect them. And listen to this. These are Jesus' words. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. If you feel beat up, battered, and abused, here's what he's saying. Come to me, all who labor And are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. It didn't say come to church. It didn't say do these spiritual things. Jesus is saying come to me. 
labored, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and will and you will find rest for your souls, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Look, he's not saying just cast it off and run freely. He's saying cast off this old yoke. And if you don't know what a yoke is, so um, back before tractors, they had oxen. And the oxen were yoked with this wooden thing that went around their neck to the cart that they pulled to plow the field and all the other things. And if the yoke wasn't made right or it was on the wrong animal, it was painful and didn't work properly. It had to be fitted for you because if it was fitted correctly, that as you pulled, it didn't hurt you. And our problem is, is we put our head through the wrong yoke all the time and go, I'm going to get the best out of this life, this yoke that I'm putting on my neck. And Jesus is saying, hey, it's not working for you. You know it's not working for you. Come to me and I'll give you the right yoke. I'll give you the right things to go after. I'll give you the right things to load on you to carry forward. I will give you rest. For your soul, if you feel over late, like you, it's just on you, the rest isn't going to come from us getting to a place of like our own personal holiness. Our rest is going to come from trusting Jesus for what he said and what he's done for us. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Our biggest issue, in my opinion, with Christianity is because we've got the wrong yoke on. <laughs> we're, we're, we're proclaiming the yoke of Jesus, but we're putting on the yoke of whatever. And life is hard and laden because of that yoke. This church was suffering. So it wasn't the yoke of suffering necessarily because this is where they were. They couldn't leave from the city that they were in. They had no way to leave that. What The, the freedom was that they trusted Jesus. They were looking for the future for him and his freedom. I'm going to invite our worship team back up. And I've got a few questions for you as we close out our time. Here's the first question. And you don't have to answer it out loud so you can be honest. Are you trusting and following the lead of Jesus? you are a son or daughter, you've declared Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Are you following and trusting him? I mean, you know the answer to that question more than I. I know me. I can answer for me. But are you trusting and following his lead? He just said, hey, my yoke is easy and my burden is life. If life is overwhelming, then you probably have on the wrong yoke. Here's another one, and it seems really um, idiotic. There was a person that Jesus healed, and he walked up and he says, Do you want to be healed? It may have been Paul. Somebody asked. This is what happens when you just bring stuff out of your memory. He walked up to him and he's like, Do you want to be healed? Mike, can you imagine being a, 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 a crippled person on the ground, unable to walk, and somebody walks up to you and says, Do you want to be healed? Like, that is the dumbest question ever. 
And here's my question for you. Do you want to be healed? If you're struggling with a known sin that you know about and it is eating you alive, do you want to be healed and freed from it? And here's another way to ask that same question. Are you asking him to free you from the sin that you are currently struggling with? I'm not asking you, are you trying to free yourself? I'm asking, are you asking Jesus, the one who sets us free, to free you from the sin that you're currently struggling with? And here's my last question. Who do you need to invite into this struggle? The word literally says, confess our sins one to another so that we can be healed. Whatever you're struggling with, you're not alone. I almost wish we, we had the ability, if we weren't judgmental and horrible people most of the time, to know each other's sins. Because I think if we understood the struggle that you're going with and understand the struggle that I'm going with or going through that we would have a lot more grace and mercy for other people. We wouldn't struggle with it alone. There's, you know, I I was at, I work out with this group called F3, and there was one morning we were literally in a circle, and one of the guys just confessed, like, here's something that's going on in my life. It was raw. And you know what happened from that? There wasn't like, oh, we hate you. We never want to see you again. What happened to that is all these other guys going, me too, calling him, messaging him afterwards going, hey, I'm, I'm in the same boat. Like, I'm so glad that you brought that up. And, it, and it, it, it started this conversation. And out of the conversation can come freedom. Because you release these things. So here, here are the questions again. As we worship, just ask. Are you trusting and following his lead? Are you asking him to free you from the sin that you're currently struggling with? And the last thing, who do you need to invite into this struggle? And I, I know, like every week, the prayer people are going to come up here in just a second. And this is one of those weeks you're like, I don't want to walk up front. Because people are going to think that there's something wrong with me. There is something wrong with you. Period. Every single one of us. Like there's something that you need help with. Period. may not be this specific sin, but there's some sin in your life that, whether you know it or not, is dominating you. What if this morning in worship we sought freedom at any cost? Walking up front and just saying, hey, I need need prayer. What if today, I'm going to speak a little hope, because that's really what one of the key things of uh, Thessalonians is, is this hope that God gives. What if today God set you free from this life-dominating sin that has ruined your current life? What if God set you free today because he can and he is able are you willing to allow him to let's pray jesus without your help we're stuck and lord i just acknowledge that most of what i just said were for believers and there may be people in this room that are struggling with even trusting or believing. And Lord, I just pray that your grace and mercy, your goodness, would shine through all of that. 
And so, Lord, as we worship, Lord, I pray that you help us understand that you have called us to be separated from our culture, not away, but holy. You've called us to a different standard. And in that standard, there is freedom, there is joy, and there is peace. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name, Lord, as we, as we take inventory of our life, of the sins that are dominating us, of the things that we're confronted with, that you would help us, that you would lead us to a freedom that we are unable to give ourselves, but a freedom that you died and rose from the dead to prove that you had the ability to set us free from. Lord, help us like the people of this church take your word for what it is that is the word of the living God. That your will for us is purity. Your will for us is a life dedicated to you. You are our joy. And Lord, if that's not so for us right now, help us get to that place. We need your grace and your mercy. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us, that you would love us, that you would set us free this morning. We just pray your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.